All right, so let's go ahead and we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll get right into our lesson in 1 John chapter 1. And um, let me find my place. It's in the New Testament, right? Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Lord God in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and we're uh, always open, Father. Try to be open to your leading. Uh, Try to be obedient to your word, but sometimes, uh, Father, our flesh gets in the way. Uh, We carry around stinky attitudes sometimes, or sometimes just the pressures of life. I try to interfere with our fellowship with you, and we just simply pray, Father, that uh, you're you're a good father, and that, that, Lord, you desire to have fellowship with us, perhaps more so than we desire to have fellowship with you. So during those times, Lord, just pray for your grace to uh, just be powerful in our lives, and just help us, Father, to always walk in the light that uh, that you are i pray father for um the nicholson family at the loss of wendy i pray father you are the god of all comfort and i just pray lord that you would comfort their hearts now knowing that wendy is now with uh, you in heaven and that uh, father in heaven she eager eagerly awaits to be reunited with her family here on earth and I pray, Father, for that uh, memorial service tomorrow, that um, the right things would be saved, uh, said, and, and hearts touched. And if there be anyone in this service that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, just impress upon their hearts in such a way that uh, it would uh, be more difficult to resist your plea uh, than, than, uh, than, uh, than to do so. I also want to pray for uh, my father-in-law, Hubert. I I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, bring about healing in his body, that you would give wisdom to the doctors. And, Father, we know that we are uh, being faced with some pretty serious decisions, and we just simply uh, ask for your wisdom. And we also ask that uh, Hubert would be open to these decisions, Father, if it comes down to that. We thank you and we praise you and we look to you, Father, for grace and for comfort, for wisdom and for guidance. In, in, in your blessed Son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to look at... Whoops, whoops, whoops. Oh. Did I turn it on? I must have, because the little numbers are clicking. All right, so um, I apologize. We're looking. We're going to look at First John, uh, chapter one, verses eight through ten. And it says, "If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us." So we are studying this epistle of First John, and it's written to about knowing the joy that we may have in fellowship with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the theme of this of this epistle. And a key phrase in this epistle is hereby we know. Okay, we read about this word, know, we read about hereby we know. So John is clearly wanting to communicate something to those of us who know God, something about knowing God. All right, so, and that is uh, to know the joy of the fellowship in the Father and the Son. In the Gospel of John, uh, we have uh, new life, eternal life through faith in the Word of God. 
In 1 John, we have fellowship with that word. Right, we have fellowship with that word of life, that eternal life, uh, through his anointing of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, his truth, and God's light. So in the passage that we've been considering, John, 1 John 1, 6 through 10, again, it's not so, and I know it's been used as such, and I get it, but it's not so much a test of one's um, being saved, or as some people like to use it, a test of someone not being saved, because I've, I've heard it taken that way. Uh, the real issue is about those who are saved and particularly their relationship or their fellowship with the Father, with God who is light, and especially concerning one's personal attitude toward their personal sin, because that's what disrupts our fellowship. It's our personal sin. It's our, it's our attitude with our personal sin. So the very first blank that you've got there is, uh, in 1 John 1 6, John writes of those who claim to be in fellowship with God, who is light, yet he or she is walking in darkness, is a liar, and that in there not living in agreement is the word, in agreement to what God's word says of them. And that's really the problem. You know, not walking in agreement to the Word of God, which is the light of God. And so it's not so much a test of one's salvation as it is a test to one's commitment uh, to walking in the light, in agreement with God's Word. Uh, Sometimes believers have a dismissive attitude uh, concerning their personal sin. Uh, they just do. They have a dismissive attitude uh, concerning their personal sin. It's not as serious as, you know, they might think it is. You know, you're just, you know, you're, you're making a mountain out of a mohill. That's, that's that dismissive attitude. But that's going contrary to the will of God for that person, for that believer. What is God's will for you and me? It's not a trick question. We know what it is, don't we? It's to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ, is it not? Sure it is. Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So clearly for those who have been called upon, uh, who have called upon the Lord for salvation, who are justified by faith, Romans 5.1, all born-again believers are predestined to something, and that is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In spite of what your tulip Calvinists, like how they like to interpret or define the word predestination, predestination isn't about your salvation it is about your sanctification that's what predestination is all about it's not about your salvation it's about your sanctification it is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to bring the believer into the conformity of Christ's image that means his attitude, his heart, his desires, you know everything that Christ is it's, it's, a, it's the process of the renewing of our minds through the word of God it's the transformation of our characters into, into the character of Jesus Christ, it's to love as he loved and, and, and to live as he lived that's what that 
predestination is all about. That's that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8.14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Alright, so by adoption, positionally, we are joint heirs with Christ as sons of God. We need to behave like sons of God. That's what that sanctifying process is all about. That's what that sanctifying process is all about. When Jesus prayed to the Father in the upper room, you know, when he was that, that, those last few hours that he had with his disciples, uh, what was it that he prayed? What was it that he prayed for these men? He said in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. What is his truth? The word of God, right? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So that sanctifying process has to be done by the truth. You can't do it without this. That's why it's so vital for us to walk in the light as God is in the light. Because this this is his light. This is the truth that we have to walk by. Um, unlike the legalists, biblical conformity is not keeping rules and ceremonies and religious and religious rites. It's not about the touch not, taste not, or handle not that Paul talks about in Colossians. That's where a lot of people, you know, that's where the legalistic religionists get all uh, worked up over. It's a, it's a, it's an inner sanctifying work that the Spirit of God does through the Word of God. And when we walk in agreement with the Word of God, then that sanctifying work, uh, has, has its fruit. Has its fruit. Second Timothy, are you tracking with me in all this? I mean, I'm getting a lot of head nodding, so, uh, so far we're in agreement. Good. Second Corinthians 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Yes, Ron. Second Timothy? Second Timothy 3.16. I thought you said Corinthians, so. I may have. I may have. Thank you, Ron. Sometimes we got, you know, when we read off our notes, we're like five lines further down than we should be. So thank you. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly. That's that internal working of the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the heart of the man of God. It's an internal working. All right? It's not conforming to some theological system of do's and don'ts. Okay? So the, the sanctifying of the believers is, is for a purpose. Do you realize that? The sanctifying of the believers for the purpose, is for a purpose, and that purpose is preparation. We're being prepared for something, folks. We're being prepared. John 14, 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You realize that the sanctifying work of God is preparing us for that 
home that he's preparing us for, for us? Yeah. A day is coming when the groom will come and for his bride and he'll whisk her away to be forever with him. So that that's what's going on. We're being prepared like a bride to meet her groom. We're being prepared through that sanctifying work of the Word and that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to prepare the Bible or the bride for that wonderful coming reunion with the groom. John 3, 1 John 3, 1 through um, uh, 2 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You know, Diane and I were just talking the other night how we both feel like we're black sheep in our family. Well, you know why we're black sheep in our family? It's because of Christ. It's because of Christ. Has anybody in here felt that same way? Yeah. It's because of Jesus Christ in us that, you know, there's that, that, uh, that strain. Uh, it's not really a strain, but it's definitely a difference, isn't it? Yeah, a disconnect. He says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we're being prepared. We're being prepared to, to meet the groom in the sky like a bride. Like a bride. And one day we're going to meet him and we're going to be glorified. And we're going to all be pretty. <laughs> you know, like a beautiful, blushing bride. A beautiful, blushing bride. That's God's will. That's God's will for us. To conform us into the image, image of Jesus Christ and truth and righteousness and love. So, you know, when we look at these, this passage here in 1 John 6 through 10, that's where that old adage, you know, comes in saying one thing while living another. No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to say one thing and, and live another. Uh, we want to, we want to, we want to live what it says of us. Not contrary to what it says of us. And that's a struggle. I agree. That is a struggle. Because we have this sin nature in us. We have this sin nature in us. That's why he says if we have, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, that truth's not active. It's not doing the, the sanctifying work that God desires. That God desires. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3, he says, Paul writes, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He says, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that's the very thing that John is trying to warn us of, is those seducers who are trying to corrupt us from the simplicity that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul continues, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So yes, on the one part, it's God's work. But on the other part, we have to cooperate with that work by being obedient, right? By being submissive, by yielding. By yielding. But we have all these liars that we have to deal with. 
who are always constantly introducing all of this corruption in our lives, in our minds. But you know who the biggest liar is that we have to face? Who's the biggest liar we have to face in this life? It's ourselves. You're right. I'm, I really lie well to myself. And I believe it. <laughs> I'm a good liar to myself. I'm a real good liar to myself. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, I, you hear on television sometimes it says, Well, just do as your heart says. I'm saying, No, don't do that. Because your heart will lead you astray. Unless it's guided by God's word. It's deceitful. So if we fail to deal honestly with sin in our lives, then we'll come short of knowing that joy of fellowship that John is trying to talk us about, talk to us about. And we don't want to be in the darkness, we want to be in the light. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. I mean, we're really good about talking up our game, aren't we? But does our game match reality? Does our game match reality? Now, one of my favorite, and I know I'm not the only one, but one of my favorite characters in the Bible is King David. You know? Now, David, he that's quite a man. But he had his moral failings, didn't he? Sure he did. He had his moral feelings. But the thing about David was, is David was a faithful man. And when he was confronted by God in regards to his moral failings, did he say, oh God, go mind your own business? No, he did not. He was honest. He was sincere. Psalms 51.3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. That's the heart God's looking for. Right there. You know, we may boast of our goodness, but what God's looking for is for a faithful and a contrite heart. That's what he's looking for. He, he, he could care less how much you might want to brag and boast about yourself. You know? He's looking, he's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. This is all introduction. You realize that, right? <laughs> I have to get myself back up into speed before I get into the new stuff. In 1 John 1 7, I think this is a blank. Uh, John writes to remind us that while we may be in fellowship with God who is the light, yet we are never free from the need of cleansing from the blood of Jesus Christ. We're never free of that. There's never a time when we're ever free from the cleansing of Jesus Christ's blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Don't ever forget that. That's what we're getting ready to talk about. Folks, forget that. When Jesus was in the garden on the night of his betrayal in Luke 22:40, what was it that he said to his men? He says, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Uh, none of us are exempt from temptation, folks. None of us. 
We will all be tempted. Even when we are walking in agreement in God's word, even when we are walking in the light as God is in the light, we are never immune or exempt from being tempted. And in a moment of weakness or in a moment of unguardedness, guess what happens? You fall into that temptation. It happens. It happens. But due to God's grace and mercy shed upon us by Christ's atonement, we are perpetually cleansed. And it is based upon his cleansing that we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Not because I'm such a good boy. It's because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. As Jesus pointed out in the garden, he says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we forget that sometimes. We do. We forget that sometimes. So praise God. God knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He's made provision in the cleansing power of Christ's blood to keep us you know, always there before him. You know, We always have that fellowship with him. But continuing on, uh, there's something that we have to be aware of. In First John 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So this section is, is the danger of spiritual blindness. The danger of spiritual blindness. And I don't think I have that on your study guide, but that's what we're going to look at. There's a little man there peeking around behind a tree. Did you skip that blank that this is to aid in our... Oh, yes, I did. Thank you. Yeah, so so knowing that we have this perpetual cleansing of Christ's blood, this is to aid in our remaining humble and grateful as well as to guard against our becoming overconfident. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is the key right here. That's that's what we're getting ready to look at is being overconfident in the flesh that we are so prone to. So on your study guide, for us to have fellowship with God, a God who is pure and holy and with whom is no darkness at all, we as children of light should not hide from that from this light. Remember what Adam did in the garden? Yeah, he was hiding, wasn't he? To do so is to forfeit the blessing of our communion with God. It's to forfeit fellowship. And that's exactly what Adam did. He didn't want to fellowship with God. Why? (laughs) Because he knew he did wrong. He knew he did wrong. For a born-again child of God to refuse to be open and honest in their relationship with God in this matter of personal sin... Now, that's going to hinder your fellowship with him. Not to mention hinder your fellowship with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I get it. I get it where where someone would be unwilling to share with your brother and sister in Christ some sin going on in your life. I totally get that. Because sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ can't be very understanding. Or they've got loose lips that sink ships. So I I totally get that. And I would even advise in certain situations, you you keep that to yourself and to some few trusted, truly trusted uh, believers. But to try to play that game with God, that's not going to work. 
That's just not going to work. But yet, there are people who try to play that game with God. As if he doesn't know what's going on, right? As if he doesn't know what's going on. I think what 1 John 1.8 confronts is something more serious than simply being embarrassed or, or, or being ashamed about personal sin in one's life. He says here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. If we say that we have no sin, that's a very prideful statement. Plus an ignorant statement. That's a very prideful and ignorant statement to make of oneself. And here what we see is that deceitfulness of the heart at work. We deceive ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. The word deceitfulness in Jeremiah I think is kind of a neat neat word. In fact, the root word of this of this word deceitfulness or deceitful. Have you ever crossed a creek? And put your heel on a slippery stone. What happens? Down you go into the creek. That's what this word is talking about. It's talking about putting your heel down on a slippery spot on the path. That's what this is all about. Proverbs 16:18 says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So when you become all this in a bag of chips, guess what you're doing? You're getting ready to put your heel down on a slippery spot. And you're going to go down. On your study guide there is always the temptation to boast that we are free from sin. Again, John is writing to born-again believers who know the truth. He's writing to those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They, they're born again. Right? So he's not addressing lost men. He's addressing believers. He's addressing believers. You know, when we witness to others about the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that we have to get them to understand is that they are sinners needing to be saved. That's one of the things we try to tell them, try to get them to see, to understand. You know, why do I need a Savior if I don't understand the reason for me needing a Savior? Well, the reason you need a Savior is because you're a sinner. Right? So that's what, that's what we do. Uh, the gospel message in its simplicity uh, proclaims that the wronged God loved man so much that he took the wrong upon himself, right? So that the ones who committed the wrong might be saved. That's the gospel in its essence. And even though we're saved from the penalty of sin, and we've all, we, we're also really saved from the power of sin. We really are. Um, we're still subject to that sinful nature we're still subject to it and that's what we need to be careful about now when we do sin uh, how many of us try to justify our sin I've never done that (laughs) right or um, how many of us justify sin but we still say we're in fellowship with God It's, it's not that bad it's not all that bad See, that's, that's that self-deception taking place. That's something that we've got to be careful about. So on your study guide, 
Here is a genuine risk to our fellowship that is of the subtlest sort, S-U-B-T-L-E-S-T, and that we become smug or satisfied, not realizing that we are actually prideful. That's why I've got Barney Fife there. Subtlest, S-U-B-T-L-E-S-T. Well, it doesn't look right. No, it's what's... Huh? S-U-B... Subtle. Subtlest. I'm probably butchering it. Well, that's what word, that's what word, word checker, spell checker <laughs> put it down, so... What do they know? <laughs> that's why I put the face of Barney Fife down. If anybody's familiar with the Barney Fife character, you know how you get all puffed up and... That poor man. Every time, every time he, every time he did that, what happened? Yeah, he got deflated, and here comes, here comes Sheriff Andy. He's got to fix Barney's mess. He's got to fix Barney's mess. What was Barney's problem? Pride. Pride. Romans 3:23 uh, says, "Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God." You know, here's the value of the Word of God, and that it is—it's a part of the cleansing. It's essential to our maintaining fellowship. Ephesians 5:26 that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. We've got to be in the Word. That's all—that's—that's that's part of it. And when we obey the Word, we walk in his, in his light, and by this light we are sanctified and washed. And when we walk in the light, as He is in the light. Right? We get that into our heads. Then we avoid more and more of those Barney Fife moments. Hopefully. Hopefully. So on your study guide, we may not, we may, we may not be always conscious of sin at work in us, or that we may be, or that we may be in sin at all. It is in this state of mind a believer may be self-deceived in thinking that they have no sin. That's kind of convoluted, but I'll explain myself in just a minute. I recall two incidents in, in the Gospel of John concerning the Pharisees. And I don't know if I have that on there, but John seven forty-five through 49, is that on your study guides? Okay. Then came the officers, of the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? They wanted them to arrest Jesus. The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. You see the attitude there? What was that, John? John seven forty-five to forty-nine. Another one is John 9, verses 30 through 34. This is the, a man born blind. He says, The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. The Pharisees, they said, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him. Did you hear the attitude there? 
So on your study guide, though we may not like to admit this, but there is a bit of the Pharisee in most of us. The word is Pharisee. We can be so open-eyed to the sins of others, yet when it comes to our own sin, we sometimes don't want to look at it. We don't want to see it. I don't know if you know anybody like this, but whenever you mention something in their life that's less than Christ-like, they're really quick to point out four or five other things about your own life that isn't Christ-like. This is nothing short than that pride issue raising its defenses against any allegations against itself. Pride doesn't like that. Pride doesn't like that. That's that attitude, thus, thus, thou was altogether born in sins, dost thou teach me? Now, of course, we're talking about the Pharisees. That's what they said about Jesus. What's that? Is that what they said about Jesus? No, this is the blind man talking to the Pharisees. Yeah. Now, this is the Pharisees, this is what their comment was to the blind man. You know, who are you to tell me, you know, this and that, you know. Right. Now, of course, these are the Pharisees, you know, the religious hypocrites in Jesus' day. And, and we don't have anybody like, anybody like that in the church today, do we? No, we don't, do we? So... Uh, on your study God, John, uh, John is referring to someone who is who is who truly is self-deceived into blaming this claim of being sin-free about themselves and that they have no sin. Just like these Pharisees. Just like these Pharisees. I mean, I have honestly heard folks say that they do not sin, they only make mistakes. They only make mistakes. Uh, no, I didn't lie. I just simply misspoke. I simply misspoke. They just cannot bring themselves to admit that about themselves. So on your study guide, they are not being hypocritical intentionally. They're just, they're just self-deceived concerning their nature and the wiles of their flesh. I think some of these folks are as, as serious as serious can be. I really do. You know, if a man makes this claim about himself, I mean, he might be able to fool himself. But what about his wife <laughs> and his kids and his co-workers? Those who know him, right? Those who know him. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. Not fooling anybody but yourself. And that's what John, that's what John's saying here. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is beyond being unconscious of sin. This is beyond being unaware of some sin committed by us. You know, sometimes I might say something or I might do something or fail to do something and I might be totally unaware that what I said offended somebody. Honestly. I do that a lot. I've got a size ten and a half mouth. I do. I understand that. But what we're talking about here is a condition of the heart. We're talking about a heart condition. So on your study guide, the phrase we deceive ourselves reveals an attitude 
about the one making such a claim and being unconscious of his or her sin, since if they were conscious of it, there would be no self-deception involved. All right? Does that make sense? Kind of? It's an attitude. It's an attitude of being self-deceived. It's an attitude of just not being able to see what I'm saying or what I'm doing is sin. And yet everybody else, it's very obvious to them. Usually it's because somebody has their own personal agenda in mind or some personal right they're defending or, you know, something is something selfish, something selfishly driven that that for, that just hinders them from seeing what is going on. I remember being in a marriage counseling situation one time and you know these things were being laid out about this marriage and you know the man was admitting to this and admitting to that, you know, and yeah, I I can see this and I can see that. And yet the wife was sitting over there dead silent. And her her response to all of this was this. Well, what's in it for me? Okay, well that tells you right there. That tells you right there what the problem is. What's in it for me? I mean, yeah, he's a no good, but you know, what about you know what's in it for me? You see, there are some of us who are so confident in our self-righteousness that we're actually blind to this attitude of heart. We are actually blind to this attitude of heart. That's what, that's kind of what Paul, uh, that's kind of what John's talking about as far as pride of life. You, they honestly cannot see where they are doing anything wrong or they are the cause of any Issues or any, they just can't see it. They just can't see it. They have a very difficult time finding fault with themselves and everything they do and everything they say. Has anybody ever run across somebody like that? I've run across a few. I've, I've been there at times. I've been there at times. You know, referring back to the incident with the man who was born blind, and um, the last few verses of chapter 9, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees that were standing nearby. He said in John, uh, Jesus said in John 9, 39, For judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. See, had these Pharisees acknowledged their their spiritual blindness, and had they allowed Jesus to remove this spiritual blindness from them by receiving Jesus as that light, that he said he was, then yeah, they would be able to see. But that wasn't the problem with the Pharisees. Being self-deceived and believing that they did see, they were actually blind to what they needed to see. 
And there's a lot of believers that are, that are caught in that very same thing. They're caught up in this self-deceived spiritual blindness. Hey, I'm okay. You're the problem. I'm okay. I'm doing good. You know, believers who have the same attitude toward their personal sin, they deprive themselves of the fellowship that they could have with God. You know, they've got this mantle of self-righteousness so tightly wrapped around them that they can't move. They can't enjoy this fellowship. You know, Paul writes, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, I don't know if I put that on your study guide. Oh, I did. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Pay attention to that. Those things that exalt itself. That exalt itself. Now, when, honestly, when I first read that, I'm thinking all that other stuff out there. <laughs> but I've come to learn that it's not only all that stuff out there, but it's that stuff in here, too. Because that's what he says in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. So that tells me it's an internal warfare. It's an internal struggle. And then he says this in verse 6, And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know, Doug, um, last Wednesday, was talking about hating. I don't know if anybody was in here to hear that. And I'll probably butcher this. He says, it's okay to hate. It's the object of our hatred. You hate the devil. You hate the devil. You hate the devil and all of his wickedness. You hate the devil and all of that. You hate the devil. He says, that's, that's, that's the one you're to hate. That's the one you're to hate. I'm going to take that. The one you hate is that sin nature in us. Come to hate it. Come to hate it. He says here, readiness to revenge. The word readiness means be prepared. Ready at hand. Be always in season. Be always in season. Revenge means to do justice. To defend a person against another. To do justice. So, ready to revenge. Readiness to revenge. Be in season to do justice. So, instead of adopting this smug attitude of being sin-free, we should ever be vigilant that when sin does poke its head above the bush, take aim and take vengeance against it. That's why I put that minute man there. Take vengeance against it. Yeah, we have a weapon. You whip that sword out and lop its head off. 
A born-again believer may make this claim about themselves and not being aware is the word of any sin active in their life when they feel closest to God. We've all been there. I mean, we're walking with God and, and, you know, we've got that joy in our hearts and, and, you know, we, we're, we're involved in ministry and service and, you know, there is, you know, there is that, that sense of, you know, everything is, what is that song? All is well with my soul. Right? All is well with my soul. You're serving God with a clear conscience. You're unaware of any transgression or anything that, you know. And that is a wonderful, blessed place to be. Man, if I could be in that place all the time, I'd be a happy camper. I would. On your worksheet. But even when we are in this blessed state of mind, we must always remember that this closeness... Okay, is the word is made possible only by the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And not because of our being sinless or even being unconscious of sin. You see, when we are in that state of mind, we have to be careful that pride doesn't seep in. That pride doesn't seep in. Philippians 3.13, Paul writes, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of thy calling of God in Christ Jesus. We keep our eyes on him. We realize that he is our sufficiency. We realize that it is his cleansing blood that keeps us, you know, it, it, uh, keeps maintains that fellowship with God. It's not us. The pride of life is such a subtle, self-deceiving sin. So on your study guide, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and maintains our fellowship with the Father and makes this closeness possible. We are never fully free at any time from the contamination of sin. We are never fully free from this. Even though we may feel we are or sense we are, but we are never fully free. That's why it's so vital that we keep God's word in us. Be yielded to God's word, allow it to have its influence in our lot in our hearts and our minds. To be careful not to exalt ourselves. Against the knowledge of God, but rather keep our thoughts captive, just like Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 10 3. Keep them captive to Christ. Not adopt this Pharisaical attitude that, you know, we're all that in a in a bag of salty potato chips. Galatians 6 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, what does it say? He deceiveth himself. He deceiveth himself. Pride is the is the subtle lie that we often tell ourselves, and pride is that original sin that caused all this mess in the first place, isn't it? It really is. It really is. The deceitfulness of our hearts is never more acute than when it comes to this issue of pride. Acute, not cute. <laughs> All right, acute, serious. 
Pride is a form of spiritual blindness. And it will settle in the soul. When you become so self-satisfied with your self-righteousness, it's like a cancer. It just it, it, it eats away at your soul. It just does. It does. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but to me, pride is my number one issue. It really is. Satan's sin was pride. And when a believer falls into pride, the devil is so delighted to, to, to disciple you on the finer points of conceit. He really is. He, he, he loves it when God's people get caught up in pride. Because he knows that's something he can work with in the church. And spiritual pride is the worst form of pride. That's the expertise of the devil. To entrap somebody in spiritual pride. Someone who gets caught up in their spiritual pride. Um, I had a man tell me one time that his prayer life was better than mine. His devotional time was better than mine. His study time was better than mine. His marriage was better than I mean, everything, his, everything about this man was just so much better than mine. And that I would do myself a good turn if I used him and followed him as a mentor and a model. Yeah. Needless to say, this man fell. Fell big time. No. No. Matt, I don't go around punching very many people. <laughs> but it's that spiritual pride. It's so subtle. It's so subtle. And the only cure is God's light. God's light. Let God's light expose that pride and allow God's light to cleanse you of that pride. Allow that truth to drive that pride out of your life. Pray for genuine biblical humility. Not this phony stuff. Genuine biblical humility. Um, so, on your study guide, when the Word of God has free course in our hearts and minds, it serves as a protection to us from such thinking and keeps our fellowship with God so much better and sweeter. It really does. Honestly, when I'm all puffed up with myself and thinking I'm all that, I'm not really in fellowship with God. I'm not. And I'm not in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to tell you something else about pride. It's more than walking around bragging about yourself. There's the other spectrum as well. You know, the other spectrum on the other side of that as well. When you get all caught up in your self-pity parties, that's, that's pride. It's all about me. It's all about me. Our being right with God, walking in the light as he is is in the light, always, always enhances our fellowship. But it's the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ that assures our fellowship. All right? That's what assures our fellowship. It's not because of how righteous I might be or how well I'm doing. It's always because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because of him that my fellowship is assured. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to me 
that guarantees me the privilege of fellowship with the Father. Never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of that. So, when this fellowship is impeded, what condition do we need to meet in order for fellowship to be restored? That's our topic for next time. Okay, because I don't have the time to get into it. But anyway, the... Those who say here, if we say that we have no sin and we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, that's that, that's that spiritual pride, it's that self-righteous conceit, it's that I'm all that, you know, and isn't God lucky to have me in his church and, you know, be careful of that kind of stuff because it's so subtle. It is so subtle. It's also that same type of thing that leads to comparing oneself to others. Right? Be careful of that. God may have blessed you with a talent. God may have blessed you with a gift. You know, be careful of that stuff. Those gifts that God has given you. What are those gifts given you for? Yeah, edification of the body. Not so that you can shine like some Christian star. No, when you use those gifts and talents for the glory of God... That's when you really shine. When you are, um, when you're not thinking of yourself, but when you're thinking of His glory, thinking of edifying His body, that's when you really shine. That's when you really shine. So be careful, be careful of this spiritual blindness of pride. You know, hey, I have no sin. I have no sin. I'm, you know, I have arrived. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and we are so grateful for your word and how it really does. It exposes the reality that's in our hearts. But at the same time, it gives us the hope and the assurance. And Father, you are a loving Father, and you are willing to work with us wherever we are at. I just pray, Father in heaven, that we would have yielded hearts to your working in our hearts. That, uh, Father, as you prepare us like a bride uh, preparing to meet their groom, that indeed, Father, we will would learn to yield and submit and cooperate with the indwelling Holy Spirit as he reveals to us your truth. Help us, Lord God, to know more and more daily what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light. Conform us, change us, Lord God, so that we might bring glory to you and share the gospel with others that need to hear it. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.